0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to turn to two places, Exodus chapter 34, and then to Ephesians chapter 2. The first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 are some of my favorite in the entire scripture. I think I could preach on that just about every week. But I know you're glad that I don't, so... Exodus 34 and Ephesians 2. Now in Exodus 34, um, Moses has, he's made, he's gotten the Ten Commandments from God along with some other laws. Uh, He came down from the mountain because he'd been up on the mountain so long the people had made a golden calf. Um, uh, It's one of the, the saddest and funniest stories I think in the scripture, especially when Aaron says, well, you know, the people gave me their gold and out popped this calf. I mean, like, come on. Uh, So Moses goes back up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments again, the two tablets. And so this is that, that part of the story. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by, passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And then let's skip over to Ephesians. Oh, sorry. Our sound just stopped on Zoom, so we're going to take a moment. You know, when you see Stephen walking down in the middle of the service, it's never a good thing. (laughs) Do we have it? Is the unit still on? Okay. All right, we're going to continue there with Ephesians. (laughs) Ephesians 2. Paul's writing here to Christians, and he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. So, you know, one of the things I, I really enjoy doing uh, is walking around the streets of London. I don't get to do it quite enough, but uh, uh, it really can be a lot of fun. You get to watch a lot of people. Uh, You get to see times like this. You see the changing of the seasons, the changing of the trees and things like that. Uh, And it can be just a joy to take a nice casual stroll along the pavement. Uh, And you're probably like me. I mean, you've done that. But anyone who's ever been in London for any length of time and has taken those nice, casual strolls along the pavement. You know, there are certain things that you never want to encounter. Isn't that right? You know, so, you, so you're walking along, and you're, you're just looking up, you're enjoying, and all of a sudden you notice that one of your shoes just suddenly got heavier than the, than the, the other one. <laughs> and you think, well, that's kind of weird. You know, my, my shoe is a little bit heavier. What just happened? And then all of a sudden there's this smell that kind of wafts up from your feet, and you look down and say, holy cow, what, whoa, that wasn't a cow, it was something else, I just stepped in, oh, and then, and then you're like, oh, oh, it smells, oh, it's gross, you know, because, because it, if there's enough of it, it just kind of, kind of comes up over your shoe, you know, a little bit, and so then what are you doing, you're kind of shaking your foot, and, but you don't want to do that too much, especially if you're walking with your wife, because as I've discovered, your wife doesn't really like it if you shake something onto her, you know, so you kind of, and, th- and then you're like, oh, oh. And, uh, you, and so, so then you think, okay, I got most of it. But you're walking along, and there's still some kind of sticky that's on there. And then you look down, and you just happen to wear the, those shoes with the really deep treads on at that time, right? You know, and so you're looking, and it's like, oh, man. You know, and, and you just get so upset. The, there are times when I wish that every animal was uh, had a DNA check, that was embedded so that, you know, you could, you could trace down the person that'll let their animal do that. Uh, and you know, it's just, oh, and so, so what, what I've learned over time is that you can't just keep your eyes looking up. You kind of have to watch out for the doggy do that's around because you can easily step in the doggy do and it just ruins the whole thing. It's hard to keep walking when you've stepped in something. You really have to watch your step. Uh, And we cannot walk, we cannot dive into God's different, what we've been talking about. We can't dive into God's different here if we are walking in do. But the do-do that we're talking about here is not doggy doo-doo, it's sin. And there's a real problem, I think, there's a problem in the body of Christ that a lot of times we just don't take sin very seriously. We don't understand what it is, we don't understand how God feels about it, Uh, and so we can just think we can walk in sin, and because God doesn't immediately strike us dead, because God doesn't immediately make us crispy critters, we start thinking, well, it's okay if I kind of walk in this sin. But just like stepping in the stuff as you're walking on the streets delays your walk, sidetracks your walk, can actually ruin your walk and make you want to turn around and go someplace else or, 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 or go to a you know, car wash or something so you can wash off your shoes, In the same way, if you step in sin, if you keep walking in sin and stepping in sin, it will sidetrack your walk of faith that we talked about last week. It will sidetrack your ability to be able to go into the different future that God has for us. So, we need to take sin seriously because sin is a destructive force in the earth. God takes sin seriously and it has serious consequences for us as Christians. So, if we're going to keep from walking in sin or even stepping in sin, then we really need to understand what sin is. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus and we need to know supremely who God is. We need to know what sin is, we need to know who we are, and we need to know who God is. So let's take a look at sin at first. Now, sin is a powerful, impersonal, and destructive spiritual reality, Sin is like a force on its own. I I think a lot, uh, sin is a lot like COVID-19. You know, COVID-19 is not alive. Viruses are not actually living, although they're kind of like they're living. But yet we know from experience that COVID-19 has a real impact in your life. You know, bacteria are living things, parasites are living things but viruses don't meet all the qualifications for life and yet viruses have an impact viruses are like a force that if you get a virus in you and it replicates inside of you it makes you sick and sin in many respects is a force like a virus and if you allow sin to replicate in your life It will make you sick. It can even kill you in a literal sense as well as a spiritual sense. So sin is a powerful, personal, and destructive spiritual reality, but it manifests in the lives of all people. Everybody has sinned. Sin manifests in everybody's life, Uh, And it is a sign of the broken relationship between God and human beings. So this spiritual reality, this force, this impersonal force entity called sin, like a virus, manifests in all of us and reminds us that we have a broken relationship with God. God. And so, COVID 19 is a really powerful example of the destructiveness of sin. Sin is very destructive. It affects the way people live, it affects life on this planet in very clear, discernible ways, just like COVID 19 uh, or plastic pollution. Now, one of the things that we we often don't think of plastic pollution because we always don't see it right in front of us, but yet it's in the oceans. The microplastics are around us. We know that it exists. We know that it has an impact. It's another example. Or the erosion of families. How families are falling apart. So it's a sign. It's a sign of the manifestation of sin. Now, sin as a spiritual reality, interacts with what the Bible calls our flesh. Just like COVID interacts with our body, our physical body, uh, sin, uh, like a virus, interacts with our flesh, which is the sin-filled aspect of our humanity that continually leads us away from God's will. It leads us in ways contrary to the will of God and contrary to what is genuinely good for people. So sin, this force, is working in us, and we can give in to it, or we can resist it, but the force is there, uh, and it's constantly leading us away from God's goodwill and from what's genuinely good for other human beings. And the problem is, sin doesn't always seem bad, but it always is bad, if that makes sense. Uh, The sin as a spiritual reality manifests supremely in what Paul calls the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. I, I think a lot of people don't catch this when they're reading the text, but I believe that the sons of disobedience are people who have completely surrendered their lives to sin and its destructive influence in the world. They've surrendered to sin and Satan, just like we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. So these sons of disobedience are in the world. They've surrendered themselves to the power of sin, just like we surrender to Jesus, Uh, But the problem is the sons of disobedience sometimes can seem very appealing and very winsome. They can seem like decent people. Now, not everybody who is outside of Christ is a son of disobedience. And this is where we often miss this. Now, just like not everybody in the world is a Christian surrendered to Jesus, not everybody in the world is fully surrendered to sin as a son of disobedience. I think the majority of humanity are people who are wrestling, who are under the common grace of God in Jesus Christ, and are people who are wrestling against the destructive forces of sin in many ways when they know that there are destructive forces of sin. But the sons of disobedience, one of the things they do is try to deceive people that sin is not always that bad, that sin is not always that sinful. Now, participating in sin as a spiritual reality, will subject anybody to the influence of the prince of the power of the air, what Paul calls the prince of the power of the air. So if you sin as a human being, not only as a son of disobedience, but as a human being, if you sin, you come under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan and his demons at work in the spiritual atmosphere that surrounds all people. That's the air that surrounds us. And so whenever somebody sins, they become influenced by the demonic in their lives. And they can't prevent that. Whenever they sin, they become influenced by the demonic in their lives. Now, and Satan here, like I said, is at work in these sons of disobedience in the same way that the Holy Spirit is at work in us as Christians. So you see the dynamic that Paul describing here of what's happening in our world around us right now you have this impersonal force uh, that's that's referred to as sin that is at work in all people but some people some people have surrendered themselves to the sin fully and so they become sons of disobedience but i believe the majority of people in the world they're they're really wrestling God's grace, God's common grace is on humanity that keeps us from descending into utter chaos. God's grace is there, but also uh, the power of the, 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 the Prince of the Air is there, trying to influence people in various ways. Uh, but whenever people are walking in sin, they become influenced not only by the power of sin but also by the prince of the power of the air and also by the sons of disobedience. Now, when we're looking at that word sin, hopefully that makes sense because it's important for us to understand that this is part of the struggle that we're in right now. And we're seeing the struggle around us supremely. And the problem is it's very difficult for us to point to somebody and say, well, that's a son of disobedience. But it's very easy for us to open our eyes and see the destructive influence of sin around us. When the Bible talks about sin, there are three primary words for sin that we need to understand. The first one is this, the generic word, uh, the word sin. The word sin, and the word sin in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you're reading the word, uh, the generic word means missing the mark. Missing the mark. So whenever you do something that's not right on the mark in terms of what you should have done, you've sinned. So if, uh, if, if I, you know, I'm talking to a friend and we're talking and they say, oh, I'm feeling really down uh, and I fail to encourage the friend, I've missed the mark. And so I've sinned. I've sinned. So anytime you miss the mark, anytime you miss the goal of what you should have done, the way, God's way, any behavior at all that does not live up perfectly to God's standards, is called sin. And there are two types under the word sin. There's the sins of commission, we say, and that's whenever we do something that we know we shouldn't do. Whenever we do something wrong, even if we didn't know it was wrong at the time we did it, that's a sin of commission. And then there's the sin of omission. That's whenever we don't do what we know we should have done. Whenever we don't do the right thing, even if we didn't know it was the right thing to do, that's a sin of commission. And that's the general word for sin, and we've all been guilty of that. We've all been guilty of that. But there's a second word for sin Uh, that's really important, Uh, and it occurs in two ways. It's either transgressions or trespasses. Transgressions or trespasses, it's basically the same word. Uh, The Old Testament tends to use transgressions, the New Testament tends to use trespasses, but it's the same word. Now, this is very different than the generic word for sin. A trespass is where we do something... uh, uh, Consciously and deliberately, that we know is wrong. It's a conscious and deliberate wrongdoing against another person, against a group of people, or against God. Anything we do against God or His stated commandments is a transgression. We make a choice, an act of the will. We make a choice, we make an act of the will. I'm going to do this. I know I shouldn't do it. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it. That's a transgression. And the scriptures take those exceedingly seriously because that's a rebellion against God. You can step in a sin accidentally. Going back to our walking along a London pavement. You can go, oh, oh man, what did I just step in? But a transgression is more like where you're walking along the pavement and you go, oh, there. And you kind of splatter everybody else with it. That's a, that's a transgression. Don't you love the, the, the ideas? Uh, and then there's a third word. And this word is iniquity. Iniquity. And sometimes it's iniquity in the singular, sometimes it's iniquities. Uh, and this is anything we do because we're broken and twisted as human beings. You know what? None of us had perfect parents. We're all broken and twisted. None of us have had perfect experiences in our lives. So we all carry around in us a certain degree of, of brokenness, a certain degree of twistedness. And that brokenness that we carry around is iniquity. And whenever we act out of that brokenness as people... We've committed an iniquity. It's an acting out of our brokenness. Uh, we can act out of our brokenness because our families uh, were messed up or society was messed up uh, or you know, some aspect of our education was messed up. It doesn't really matter, but we're acting out of that brokenness. Uh, and the problem with iniquity is that people often try to excuse iniquities by calling them character flaws. Well, that's just the way I am. I just can't help it because that's the way I was raised. That's an iniquity. That's a sin. It's a wrongdoing. uh, And there's no justification for it. You know, I can't blame my parents for the way I act. I choose the way I act, even if I act out of my brokenness. So that's a biblical understanding of sin. And the important part here is to understand the battle that we are in right now with sin. It is just like the battle we are in with COVID-19. Only COVID-19 is a medical issue, uh, a physical issue. Sin is a spiritual issue. And as long as we are in this battle, if we don't know how to overcome the battle, then we will be victims and we will not move in to the fullness of the different that God has called us to. uh, We'll not be able to dive into that different. Now, how do we overcome this? Well, we need to know who we really are as Christians. And when I say we need to know it, we need to really believe it. And Paul gives us some insights here. He tells us what it was like before Christ. Before Christ, according to Paul we were spiritually dead because of our trespasses and sins, as is the rest of humanity outside of Christ. Before before Christ, we had done things intentionally and unintentionally that were an offense to God, and because of that, we were spiritually dead. Before Christ, we followed the course of the world and the influence of Satan, as does the rest of humanity outside of Christ. The idea that as human beings outside of Jesus, we're free, it's an illusion. Because you're not. You're always subject to the power and influence of sin and the influence of Satan. Outside of Christ, we all lived out of the passions of our flesh. We couldn't help but follow that sinful part of our humanity that was drawing us away from God. And because of all of this, because of sin, because of Satan, because of the world, because of our flesh, we were by nature children of wrath, fully deserving the judgment of God in our lives. But that's before Christ. That's before Christ. And notice, Paul's language is all past tense, and he's talking to us as Christians, So, in Christ, what's happened here? In Christ, God made us alive together with Christ, meaning He put us in union with Christ. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Because Jesus is in us, and we are in Jesus, we were raised with Jesus and seated with Him in the heavenly places. That's the place where the prince of the power of the air is operating, we were seated with Christ in a position of authority over all of the spiritual influences going on around us. In Christ, we were destined to experience the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. Because we're in Christ, God has determined that we will experience the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness. That's our heritage. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have been saved by grace through faith, which is 100% the doing of God. You weren't saved because you were a good person. You weren't saved because God looked down history and said, oh, that's going to be a good person, that'll make a good Christian. You weren't saved because of anything from you. You were saved 100% because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And furthermore, because you are in Christ now, you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to walk in. So God has determined That as you are walking those streets of London, metaphorically, living your life, God has determined that there is good that he has prepared for you to do. God is setting you up to do good things. That means you don't have to be thinking, okay, what do I do good What can I do today that's good? Oh, I want to be good. I want to do good. If you are in Christ, God is already determining good things for you to do, and they will come up for you as you live your life. Sometimes people say, well, what should I do if I'm following Jesus? Well, do the thing that God puts in front of you to do. Because God has determined that you would do this good And that you would succeed in doing the good. God's determined your success as well. So, in this battle that we're in, this battle with sin, you see what God has done. He's taken us out of the fight, in a sense. He's united us with Jesus, who overcame all the power of sin, so we no longer have to sin. Now, we still do because we have flesh. We still do, but you don't have to anymore. You can choose not to sin. You can choose not to walk in it because you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You can choose not not to allow Satan to influence you. You can choose not to follow the course of the world because you are in Christ Jesus. And that's amazing truth. But you got to believe it. You have to believe it. I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but you have to believe it. If you don't believe who you are in Christ, if you think that you're just a weak, miserable, lowly, not seated with Christ, not united with Christ, not over the power of sin kind of person, then you'll live that way. Even though your reality is different. So you need to believe what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons why we struggle believing this sometimes is that we don't really know who God is. And so if we are going to have victory in this battle over sin, the battle that's just as real as our battle with COVID-19, if we're going to have victory in this battle over sin, We need to know who God really is. Because a problem for many, many people, they think that God is this mean, angry God that is ready to smite people and toss them into hell. Now, the reality is that some people will spend eternity in hell separated from God, but it's not going to be because God was mean. It's going to be because they didn't take the opportunity to be united with Christ. So who is God? Well, if you want to know who somebody is, one of the best ways to get to know them is to find out what they say about themselves. Now, sometimes we know people, we lie, right? You know, so if I ask you about yourself, you might not tell me the whole truth. But God doesn't lie. God doesn't need to lie. Do you you understand that? God doesn't need to lie. There's nothing that God's ashamed of. There's nothing that God really needs to hide. There's nothing that if we found out about God, we'd say, oh, goodness gracious, I wish I didn't know that about God. God is perfect, and He's beautiful, and He's wonderful. And so we can go to Him, And we can ask him and say, hey, God, who are you? Who are you? So let's see what God says about himself, because that's the power of this passage in Exodus. God's talking about himself. He's answering the question, who are you? Who are you? Now, we see here first that God is holy. Now, it's not something that God necessarily says right away. But notice what God does. He says, now, Moses, go up on this mountain, but... uh, don't take anybody else with you don't even let any animals get on this mountain because god is holy this means that god is completely separate from any contamination and anything that is common anything that is worthless anything that that is contaminated in some way god is holy He's completely separate from sin. He's completely separate from wrongdoing. That's the holiness of God. God is holy. And we also see here a little bit about God. God is transcendent. God is transcendent. This means that God is completely over and beyond the creation. If the creation would cease to exist, God would still exist. So we see God is holy, God is transcendent. And the third thing about the nature of God that we see here that's very important is God is unknowable apart from a revelation of himself. God is unknowable apart from his self-revelation. In other words, we couldn't get to know who God is personally if God didn't show himself to us if God didn't reveal himself to us, but God reveals himself to us because he wants to have a relationship with us. It's just like the person on the street. If you, if you, if you're walking along the street and you see somebody, you think, hey, I I like that person, uh, and you go up and say, hi, uh, and, and you introduce yourself, but they walk on, you can't know that person. It was one of the things that I learned here when I when I first moved to the UK. Uh, I would go up to people and I say, Oh, well, hi, my name's Rod. Uh, and then they wouldn't, you know, in the States you do that. Hi, my name is Rod. And they say, Oh, my name's Bill, or my name's Sarah. Uh, but I would go, hi, my name's Rod. And they wouldn't say anything. They would just keep talking. Uh, and you know that is an indicator that somebody doesn't really is not sure if they want you to know them yet. But God doesn't do that. Remember, when Moses asked God's name at the burning bush, he said, well, you know, call me Yahweh. And so God wants us to know him. We see that in the text. So he is unknowable unless he reveals himself, but he delights in revealing himself to us. So what now do we learn about God? Who is God? What's God's character like? This holy, transcendent, unknowable God, now that we get to know him, What is he like? Is he mean? Does he want to kill us? Does he want to smite us? Does he hate us? Who is he? And notice what he says here. And this is God talking about himself. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord. He's emphasizing, and by the way, that translation, the Lord, that is God using his name. It's just the Jewish people so venerated the name of God, nobody would pronounce it. So whenever you have the name of God in the Old Testament, which we would pronounce now as Yahweh, uh, whenever you have the name of God, the Jews would say Adonai, which means the Lord. So when the text says the Lord, the Lord, he's saying his name. He's saying his name. He's introducing himself to us. He says the Lord, the Lord, he is merciful and gracious. He wants to not give us what we deserve and give us what we don't deserve. He's merciful. He's gracious. Look at this. He is slow to anger. Now, God does get angry, but He is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. He is abounding, abounding in steadfast love, keeping His steadfast love to a thousand generations. A thousand generations. It's steadfast love. It's covenant faithfulness. God is faithful to his covenant with us, his covenant of love that he makes to us. God is also abounding in faithfulness. God is a faithful God. He will do everything he says he will do. He will fulfill all of his promises to us. We can count on this. And then notice what God forgives here. God forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Notice how God uses the three primary words for sin. Iniquity, that's our brokenness. That's all the stuff that we do because we're messed up human beings. He forgives our iniquity. He forgives the stuff that we do that we know that we're not supposed to do. And He forgives all the times that we miss the mark. You know, if I was God, I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll forgive your iniquity and I'll forgive your sin, but I tell you, you cross the line and I'm smiting you. But God doesn't do that. He forgives. He forgives. So He is gracious, merciful son to anger abounding in steadfast love to a thousand generations abounding in, in, in faithfulness forgiving iniquity transgression and sin but we learn one final thing about god in this passage that god abhors sin and takes sin seriously god abhors sin and he takes sin seriously He does not accommodate us, uh, accommodate himself to us. And he does not compromise. So he says, listen, but I'm not going to clear the guilty. I'm not going to clear those who refuse to deal with their sin. I'm not going to clear those who refuse to take the way out that I have provided through my son, Jesus Christ. I am not going to clear those who use their broken, messed up humanity as an excuse just to do whatever they want to do. I'm not going to clear those people. I take this exceedingly seriously. And so God says, and I want you to take sin seriously as well. Because it will not only affect you, but it can affect Humanity, it can affect your family to three and four generations if you don't take it seriously. God is not saying here that he capriciously will visit your sin on your children and your children's children and your, and your children's children's children. But he is saying that it is so serious that if you don't take it seriously, not only will you bear consequences for sin, but your sin will be passed on. And we actually know that, that that happens. We know that that's true. So this is who God is. He's gracious and he's merciful, but he takes sin seriously and he causes us to take sin seriously. And we know that he takes sin seriously because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. So even though God takes sin seriously, God, because he is gracious and merciful, provided us a way to overcome the power of sin in our lives through Jesus Christ. And that's the promise. That's the promise. So the question then comes, how do we keep from walking in sin? How we keep walk- from walking in sin? Because that's the thing that we must do in this season if we're going to dive into the God's different for us. And I have a few things I want to suggest quickly. First, we need to seek God's presence and favor actively in our lives it's like moses said if i've now found favor in your sight O lord please let the lord go in the midst of us and that's an amazing statement because it means that god doesn't want to be just transcendent god doesn't want to be just out there somewhere god wants to be with us and he wants to be with us individually and corporately It's not just an individualistic issue here. It's individually and corporately. So we need to be seeking God's presence and seeking God's favor. God, please go with us. Please walk with us. Second thing, we need to believe the truth as revealed by God's word, especially about sin, about who we are in Christ, and about who God is. We must believe what the Bible says. Because if you don't believe what the Bible says, you will not take sin seriously. And if you don't take sin seriously, you will become a victim of it, just like those who don't take COVID-19 seriously can become a victim of it. And you know, the thing that we've discovered with COVID-19 is you can have it, you can not think that you've had any kind of effects, but it actually can have an impact in your body that you don't even realize it's had until it's too late, and you experience consequences. same is true with sin. So we've got to believe the truth, seek God's presence. The third thing is we need to repent. Whenever you sin, whenever you step in it, there's a quick way to get clean, and that is repentance. And repentance means that you confess, you agree with God that you've sinned. You say, oh, God, you know, this person made me do that. That's not confession. That's trying to excuse yourself. You say, God, I've sinned. It's not anybody else's fault. It's my fault. What I did was wrong. And then we renounce it. We say, God, and I turn away from it. I don't want it. I get rid of it. And then we replace it with righteousness. And now I'm going to choose to do the right thing. So we confess we've done the wrong thing, we reject, we renounce the wrong thing, and we choose to do the right thing. And that's what repentance is all about. And repentance works 100% of the time because of the cross of Christ. If you do it, Jesus paid the price, and it's just applying what Jesus has done to the point of your sin in your life. And then, finally, you just got to obey Jesus. Like we said last week, you need to make it your aim to please Him and walk in the good works that He's prepared for you to walk in. Just do what He tells you to do. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You're not measured by other people. Do what God has told you to do. Walk in the good works that God has prepared for you to walk in. And as we engage in these things, as simple as they sound, we will experience victory over sin and its power. And we will be liberated to dive in to the different that God has for us. We have to remember, we are in a real battle right now. But like I said, it's not with COVID 19. The battle is with the power of sin working in our lives and working in our world. You can see the effects all around us. I've said before, the whole pandemic was a result of human sin. This wasn't demonic. It wasn't from Satan. It wasn't from God. It's from human sinfulness, 100%. And we could sit down and we could trace it from the very beginning, the very entrance of the virus into humanity to the spread of the virus around the world today. It is 100% because of human sinfulness. 100%. So we can see the effects of sin all around us. Uh, And although the effects of sin are global, The fight we're in is individual and corporate. It's for you, it's for your family, for the church, it's for around us. So as God's people, we have to walk in our authority, wield our authority in Christ Jesus to defeat sin in us, knowing who we are truly in Jesus Christ and knowing that ultimately Jesus Christ has overcome the power of sin. And that's the truth. And that's what we must live in. And we will see victory and we will be free to dive into the different that is coming and is here already for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you that even though sin is a very real force, very real power at work in our world, that Jesus Christ in the cross has overcome, has defeated the power of sin. And we thank you that we are in Christ Jesus, all who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. We share in his victory. We share in his triumph over the power of sin. Lord Jesus, help us to live out that reality. Help us to recognize when we step in it. And then repent so that we're clean. And help us to watch our step so we don't step in it in the first place. Let us live in such a way that we become examples to the people around us of people who, yes, we might sin, but we are no longer subject to sin because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who defeated overcame the power of sin in the cross. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we worship you and adore you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in worship.